wonderful. All right, I'll leave it to you. All thanks right. for coming. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me all. It's great to be here to see some old friends, make some new friends. Um, please keep your Bibles open at Luke 7 as well. And let me pray as we come and look at this part of God's Word together. Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you for your Word. We thank you that uh, in your Word you show us uh, yourself, you reveal your heart, your plans and your purposes to us and your plans and your purposes in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask now that as we read this and, and, and learn from this part of the Bible together that by your Spirit you would teach us you would encourage and challenge us in our faith. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, some of you might remember that, um, that old magazine, The Bulletin. Yeah? Uh, back in uh, 2005, actually, I read an article from The Bulletin magazine, and they were doing research on what it cost back then to raise a child to the age of 18. And what their research found, this is how much it cost in 2005 to raise a child to the age of 18. Hold on to your chairs. It cost, in their estimation, $1,032,600 to raise a child to the age of 18 years. $1 million. Sounds a lot, doesn't it? And what do you get for a million dollars? Well, you get stinky nappies and sleepless nights and snotty noses, seedy boyfriends, I have three daughters. You get trouble and tantrums and groans and grunts and quite frankly, a bottomless pit of consumption. Now, I notice a few people that are probably under 18 years. He's under 18, I don't want to embarrass you. Yeah, you are expensive. Very, very expensive. Now, on the other hand, what do you get for a million dollars? Well, you get the velvet touch of a baby's foot in the palm of your hand. You get goosebumps when tiny lips kiss your cheek. And little arms squeeze your neck. You get the delight of giggles under the blankets at night. You get to experience the kind of humbling honour that can only be granted when a child snuggles up in your lap. You get to be the hero, don't you? When you shoo off the dog or get the splinter out or band-aid the knee, or scare away the monsters. You get to see history unfold. The first step, the first word, the first date, the first broken heart, the first day of school, the first attention. You get to walk the corridors of their heart. Uh, and tread the pathways of their life. Sometimes in front, sometimes behind, and sometimes right beside. And you get the solemn charge of carving character and moulding the mind, and the precious endorsement of unqualified trust. 
And you experience sometimes, don't you, such love that you feel like your heart will explode out of your chest. And for these priceless privileges, a million bucks is a bargain, isn't it? And that's what makes this story in Luke just so sad. Look with me again at it and verse 11. Verse 11, it says, Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. And as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. Now, this is a very sad and tragic Seen if ever there was one, because this mother had lost her only child, her, her one and only son. And this, of course, meant her dreams for her boy were shattered. The unrealized potential of all those unlived years were in a coffin. She would never see him get married and, and, and become the man that she had imagined him to be, or get married, or have her grandchildren. There'd be no more good times. There'd be no more sandcastles or skin knees or snotty noses. There'd be no more hugs, no more tears, no more laughter with him. This was not how it was supposed to be. See, mothers are not supposed to bury their sons. She had become an orphaned parent. I bet she would have given a billion dollars to have her son back. So can you understand the gut-wrenching tragedy of this scene that Jesus bumps into that day? And if that's not bad enough, look at how Jesus responds to her. Look at me at verse 13. In verse 13, He goes up to her and he says, see the first words he says, don't cry. Don't cry. Her son had just died. What kind of remark is don't cry? And this was a funeral for goodness sake. Why shouldn't she cry? And in fact, what's more, how can he, the Lord Jesus, not cry? Seems like Jesus displays the sensitivity of a brick here, doesn't it? And worse still, look what happens in the next verse, verse 14. It says, Then he, Jesus, went up and touched the beer. The beer is the kind of platform that they put the coffin on and the pallbearers would carry the platform uh, that the coffin was on. Verse 14, Then he went up, Jesus went up and touched the beer. They were carrying him on and the bearers stood still. Jesus said, young man, I say to you, get up. See, now Jesus is just being cruel, isn't he? You can't say that at a funeral. But not only is Jesus being cruel, he's also talking a little bit crazy, don't you think? Because dead people do not get up. 
Now, you could rightly condemn Jesus for being both cruel and crazy until we see what happens in the next verse. Look with me at verse 15. The dead man sat up and began to talk. What? The dead man sat up? The dead man began to talk? Now, in my 20, over 20 years in ministry, I have taken many, many, many funerals. I can tell you, dead people do not sit up and dead people do not talk. And we're told here in verse 15 that this is the dead man just to make the very point that he was actually dead. No, he was not just asleep. No, he wasn't just unconscious. He was dead. But now he is sitting up and having a chat. Now, how can this happen? And why did it happen? It's quite simple, really, the answer. It is because Jesus was there. And it is because Jesus brought this man back to life. And you know what's happened here? Jesus has performed the most impossible miracle and the most important. Jesus has turned death into life. But then do you notice what Jesus does after he turns death to life? Do you notice? What Jesus does is he turns life into a gift. Do you notice that? The most impossible and the most important gift. Do you see what it says at the end of verse 15? It says, Jesus gave him back to his mother. A couple of things I want you to notice about that. Firstly, it says Jesus gave him back to his mother. Not the lady, not the woman, no, his mother. See, as Jesus gave him to her, not only was he giving her son back, he was giving her motherhood back as well. Was he not? See, her buried hopes and dreams had now been resurrected by Jesus as she embraced her son. See, now there would be hugs again, only longer and tighter, I'm sure. There'd be more skin knees and sandcastles. She'll get to darn his socks and nag him endlessly, torture his girlfriends, torment her daughter-in-law. That's what mothers are supposed to do. She was a mother, and once again, she can now be a mother to him. You know what I mean? But another thing, and far more important to notice than all that, and it's that she, very important, She had been given her life back again. You notice, most of this is all about the the woman and not the dead son that was raised to life. Let me explain a bit more. Remember back in verse 12 that we're told that this boy was the only son 
of his mother. And, verse 12, she was a widow. This tells us that she was in big trouble, big, big trouble as a woman in the first century in the Middle East, where this happened. As a first century woman in the Middle East, it meant she had minimal job and income prospects. And as a widow, had no husband. And as this was her only son who had died, meant no son to bring in income. In other words, for her, no men, no money. And in those days, there's no social security, there's no salvation army, there's no soup kitchens. And her prospects as a widow for another marriage in the first century were slim at best. What verse 12 is telling us is that for her, a dignified life worth living was effectively over. Any quality of life had vanished. The only men in her life, her husband and her son, were dead. In other words, she had nothing. She probably had a life of begging in front of her. Now, that might sound sexist to 21st century Western ears, but that was just the reality for a woman in the Middle East in the first century. So the picture being painted for us here is of a lady who has become sadly and tragically helpless. And on this day, Jesus saw this desperately shattered woman and his heart broke for her. It wept for her. Remember verse 13? His heart went out to her. And so he did something about it. And he turned her tragedy upside down. See, when Jesus told her in verse 13, don't cry, that was neither crazy nor cruel, but it was compassionate. It was the best thing he could have said to her. Because you see, as death was walking out the door that day, life walked in, in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, why did Jesus Christ bring her son back to life? They didn't ask him. And was it simply that maybe he felt sorry for her? Maybe she deserved it. Maybe they were long-term friends. Maybe she was just a very, very good person. There's none of those things. Jesus didn't know her. He had no relationship with her. So why did he do it? Let me tell you. Jesus did it in the end because that is why he came. That's why he came to earth, to deal with the problem of death. And this story tells us that God saw death in the world... And so he sent Jesus to stop it and give life back. Look with me at verse 16. Verse 16. They, now they here is the big crowd. Remember there was a large crowd with Jesus and there was a large crowd uh, with the funeral procession. So there was a very large crowd. So that's the they in verse 16. 
they were all filled with awe, and listen to this, and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. See, the crowd knew that what they had seen was not humanly possible. Something special had just happened, something out of this world. God, in fact, had happened, and they recognized that. They recognized that God had come, but that he had come in the person of Jesus Christ. They didn't understand that fully at this point, but at this point of Jesus' ministry, as he's looking ahead, it is a window into why he has come for them and for us. This is a window and a foretaste into why God sent Jesus, why he came. And that is that God would ultimately deal with death and he would do so through the Lord Jesus. The irony of it all is that it is through God's one and only Son, Jesus, who God will deal with death through. It is through Jesus' death in order to pay for the sins that brought death in the first place. It is his death died for us that will bring life. The Bible tells us that all people have sinned. That is, all people have placed themselves before and above God. All people have disobeyed him. All people have followed their own way and not his. There are many ways the Bible describes sin. And God says that the penalty for sin is death, eternal death. And so God sent Jesus to deal with this death problem that we all have. And he dealt with it by dying on the cross to pay for the penalty of our sins instead of us. He took our punishment of death for us so that we would not have to die for our own sins. But of course, when the penalty of death was paid by Jesus, God then raised him from the dead, brought him back to life so that Jesus might give life, eternal life, to all who put their faith and trust in him. So when God, uh, uh, when uh, Jesus raises this boy to life, it signals to them and to us what he has come to do to give life, like he gave to the son and his mother. Except that the life Jesus wants to give is permanent. It is eternal life. And like he did for the mother, he offers it as a gift. It's not something that you can earn or work for or achieve. She did nothing to earn or work for or achieve that. It is a gift of God, 
and a gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. This, put another way, was Christ's mission to give life to people. You know, Jesus actually uh, extends and passes on this mission to his people. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, verse 20, uh, chapter 28, Jesus tells his disciples to go and make disciples of all nations. And this is done by sharing the message of forgiveness and life with all nations. And that means all who are here in Marsfield and all you come across every day of the week. I have two questions for you this morning. The first question is, have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and for life eternal? Because that's the only way to receive forgiveness and life eternal. I never want to make assumption that just because people are in church, they've done this. Have you put your trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins? And if you have not, you need to speak to one of the team here today and talk to them about it. That is the only question you'll have in life that you'll consider that has eternal consequences. So do it today. My second question is, for those who have put their trust in the Lord Jesus for the forgiveness of sins, how are you going with the mission that Jesus has given us to continue his mission to bring life to a world that is dying? How are you going with that? And how is this church going with that? If Christ... Our Lord, if his mission is not front and centre for us as God's people and for us as individuals, then our focus is not his focus. And his focus is not ours. May I say this, if that's the case, realign. Realign. All we do must be or contribute to the end that is Christ's. That people bend the knee to him, confessing him as Lord and Saviour. And that is done by proclaiming Jesus and him crucified and his resurrection that brings forgiveness and life. And as we share this message, please remember, we are holding out God's gift to people. And this gift is worth more than a million dollars, isn't it? It is priceless. Let me pray. 
Lord God and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ that you have sent him into this world so that we may know you and have the forgiveness of sins because he came, he lived, he died, he rose again and ascended to your right hand. And Father, we thank you that through faith and trust in him and him alone, we can know eternal life. And we thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen.